Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. In this week's episode, we are going to be taking a look at the newest Stonemeyer game, which is Apiary. And then in the discussion topic, Natasha is going to give you her top 10 tile laying games. Yeah. Which, if you know Natasha, she does love herself a good tile laying game. So I'm I'm interested to I'm interested in your list. I think I know like maybe your top a uh, couple, but I think uh, three through ten I think is going to be interesting because I'm not a hundred percent sure where a lot of these things are going to fall. But I I think I have a general idea of your one and two. Um, at least your one. I don't think you're going to have any surprises. You'll be like, yep, yep, yep. That makes sense. Yep. You're just going to be you know see where they are. Yeah, I'm just I'm more curious as to the hierarchy of what is your tile in games because, like I said, as everyone knows. Natasha loves herself a good tile lane game. Uh, mm-hmm. Before we get into reviewing Apiary, I, I wanted to bring something up because I just saw this on the internet and it was not on my radar at all. And I'm a little frustrated that I didn't see it. There's this game that is Christmas themed. It's called Santa's Workshop. Oh, yeah. It looks super cute. Yeah. And like it has not been on my radar at all, especially considering it's an Elf Creek Games game, which... I typically like their stuff. I think they do a really good job, especially like the art is always very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Atlantis Rising was a reprint that they did. They did Honey Buzz. Um, Merchants of the Dark Road seem got a little, eh, a little bit here, a little bit there. Got mixed reviews. But then I all of a sudden I'm on I'm perusing the Facebooks, and I see Santa's Workshop, and I was in my head I was like, where did this come from? This has not been on my radar at all. I didn't see it on like Kickstarter or nothing. Am I just like, did I just miss it completely? I'm always interested in like a cool Christmas themed game. I think it like just came out, didn't it? Yeah. Super like this new. Week? Yeah, you should get it. I'm thinking about it because I've, I'd like, I've always talked about, I'd enjoy myself a good unique theme. So with that, I kind of want to pick this up. It looks super cool. And if you go to Elf Creek's website, it's not that expensive. It's only 40 bucks if you oh. bought it direct from age six plus. So you could play this with like the kids. Yeah, I'm excited about this guy. That is just a cool, unique theme. I like that. You should get it for yourself and wrap it and put it under the tree. And uh, then and you open it like, oh, look what Santa got me. And then you can play it on Christmas with your family. There's been a bunch of TikToks that I've seen recently, and it's a husband sitting on the floor by himself, and the quote is, I just got yelled at for two hours for buying my four-year-old daughter a new .30-06 rifle. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And when, and it, when I, when, every time I see it, I think of uh, last year when you bought Max. What was it? Uh, was it the Turing the, machine? Turing machine. Yeah, <laughs> that stupid game. When you bought him that, and he called you out and was like, "Did you just buy this for you?" And you're like, "No, I thought you would like it." And he ended up like disliking it. <laughs> <laughs> he has since played it like on his own by himself, so he doesn't hate it. But yeah, I, I I try not to give my kids games unless I know that they really want it. Like uh, Max only, not Parker. But I did when they were younger. But yeah, that don't do that. Yeah, probably not the best thing in the world. It's it's funny because my son, he still really loves Christmas, but the issue is he doesn't really like games. 
That is an issue. He just, he's never really been into them. He will play certain games depending on the theme. There's certain themes that he will like. For example, the Golden Ticket game, the Willy Wonka game. He really likes the Willy Wonka franchise. So he was more apt to play that game than he was, let's say, something that he's not interested in. A pirate theme game is another prime example. He, you know, he's always liked pirates. So something like Forgotten Waters, I picked that up with the intention of him wanting to play. And I've, I've brought it up to him a few times and he's always, eh, I don't know. I don't know. And I think when you're dealing with teenagers and you deal with the, eh, I don't know, it's more, <laughs> that's their version of yes without them committing to it. Have you found this mm-hmm. to be a thing? Yeah, that means they're willing but, like, maybe not right now. Yeah, the old infamous, uh, I don't know. Do you want to do this? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So that's, a, that's as close to a yes as you're going to get before actually getting a yes. So if you, if you want games for Christmas, I think you just have to buy them yourself and make sure they're for you. <laughs> One year, my, nobody ever got my mom anything for Christmas. So Wait, what? Like, yeah. What do you mean nobody ever got your mom stuff for Christmas? She just never got presents for Christmas. Like, anyways, like growing she, up or just in general? Or did you kids never buy her stuff? We never bought stuff for our parents for Christmas. And uh, my dad didn't buy her anything. So she would buy her. She bought herself stuff and she put it under the tree. And she's like, oh, what's this? And she opened it. And it was so weird because we we're like, oh, you got presents. She got them herself. I, looking back, it was definitely problematic. But Yeah. Why didn't you buy your mom anything? What's up with that? Did you not do the thing in school? Where the yeah, we'd Santa's make her stuff at school, thing. but but never like where we go shopping and buy her anything. No, they they do the the Christmas shopping at the schools. You know what I'm talking about the the Santa's helper, Santa's shopping thing. Like elementary uh, schools, you, you give not. your kids. I don't like, think my mom wanted me to buy anything there. Sheltered growing up, yeah, I guess. Can't believe your mom didn't get anything. To go back to Santa's workshop, the game. It turns out too that I found out because I was I I saw it and I was like, what is this? So I messaged my contact Jeff over at the game store and I was like, hey, are you guys getting this in? And apparently he talked to talked to Elf Creek at PAX and it turns out that they are not getting it in till maybe like the summer. <gasps> Elf Creek is exclusively selling it on their website. So if you want a copy of Santa's Workshop, you're gonna have to buy it through them. Which actually I don't really think is that big of a deal. It's a publisher that I wouldn't mind actually supporting, so I'd be down to buy it from them. Plus, it just looks cool. Yeah, I got yeah, to play it every every December with your family. Yeah, it's right up there with like Abomination. I'm going to play it right around you know Halloween every single year. It's right up there with something like that, probably. There's a handful of like Christmas kind of themed games, but maybe this one will actually be good. That's what I'm excited for. Anyway, let's talk about Apiary, huh? Sure. So, uh, Apiary is a worker placement game designed by Connie Vogelman, art by Quanchai Moria, and it is published by Stonemaier Games. So, in the far distant future, humans no longer inhabit the earth. Over the span of untold generations, one species of the humble honeybee evolved to fill that void. They grew in size and intelligence to become a highly advanced society. At its core, this is a worker placement game. Players will be taking turns until one of two endgame triggers is met. So on a player's turn, they can pick either to place a worker or to retrieve their workers. This game is somewhat unique in the fact that all the action spaces are always available to place a worker. So if there's another worker in that space, it basically just gets bumped 
the player whose worker it is gets it back. The other unique thing is that each worker has a value between 1 and 4. This makes the this makes a difference when you take actions. So like you could, you know, move based on the values or you can do a certain amount of conversions based on the value of the bee that you place. So there are six main actions on the board. Explore, which lets you discover new planets and acquire resources. Advance, which lets players improve their hive with tiles. So each player starts the game with one of 20 unique factions, as well as a hive board that they use to place these tiles and store resources on turn to turn. The next space is Grow, which will give players more workers as well as more additional hive spaces. Research, which gives you uh, the cards that are in the game. These cards are interesting because they are basically can be played in three different ways. First, discarding it can give you a basic resource, discarding it to gain a special benefit on it, or you can place it under your hive for endgame scoring. There's Convert, which is exactly like it sounds. You can convert resources. And then finally, there's Carve, which allows you to get a special endgame scoring tile to place in your hive. The other thing you can do is retrieve your workers. So you take them back from the board, increase their value, and activate any income tiles in your hive. This play continues until one player has used all their hibernation tokens or all the hibernation spots are filled. A player will hibernate a bee when it hits a value 4 and it is either bumped back to your hive or you retrieve it. Then that player loses that worker and places a hibernation token which usually gives you a small benefit like a resource. And the play is going to continue happening until, again, either all the hibernation tokens from one player have been used or all the hibernation spots have been taken up. I think what makes this game fun, first of all, is the unique theme. I really like the advanced B, space B kind of theme. I think it's, I think it's super cool. I also really like the workers increasing in value because it, it gives you more access to things. It's not as simple as, okay, I place a worker, I get to do this thing. One of the extra things you think about when you have the value of worker is what am I going to be able to get? For example, the exploration board. If I have a four and there's a, you add the two values together if there's two Bs there. So let's say I have a, I place a three and somebody has a two. Well, now I have to move five. Well, maybe I want to move four. So now I'm thinking about putting a two value B there as opposed to the three value. So I, I, I personally like that the strength of the B matters. I agree. I think what makes this game unique is the beautiful theme. It's gorgeous and it's unique and it's kind of fun. I like that it's bees. It's it's cutesy, um, but it's also serious the the way it's like done up a science fiction theme. Um, I think it's really well produced. It looks gorgeous. Like the art on the box looks beautiful. The bees are really nice. The components are really nice. It's like a really nice modern new board game you know i think this is the kind of the future of board games you know you you have these clever themes with beautiful artwork you know we're not going back to these like dry boring euro games this is a a fun like beautiful to play euro game straight up euro game you know there's very little interaction you bump people's bees off your spots but like that's cool because every time you get bumped off of a spot, you your B increases in strength. And like you said, it's really it's I really like that feature of increasing B strengths and then hibernating them and then starting all yep. over from the beginning. I think it's it's a unique way to do workers and it makes it interesting because like all of a sudden you've got all these you've got all your bees to four and then they're all hibernating. Now you've got to start over. You know, so you kinda of have to plan that out. Like what's that gonna look like? How are you gonna get these bees if you want to do like the a big way to get points is to carve. You can only do that with a level four B. So then you have to work and get your bees um, quickly 
moved up so that you can carve with them. The nature of the bees hibernating and increasing in value is very indicative of Teotihuacan, where those are just plain dice as you move and you do action spots, you're able to increase the die value, which gives you access to more resources. So in a lot of ways, it's similar to that. When it hits a value six, it ascends, it becomes a value one, and then you kind of start that process over. And here, once a bee hibernates, it goes into a general pool, and then you have to take an action grow in order to gain the bees back into your your little player board, your hive board. So I, I I do like that. I do like the fact that you're thinking about it and like having every action space available to you, I think still gives you decisions to think about because one of the things I often find myself thinking about is, okay, I see Natasha has no bees left. If I knock off one of her bees, she doesn't have to take the the retrieve action. She can play another bee. Mm-hmm. So I find myself thinking, okay, where do I want to go? Who am I going to bump? Do I want to bump them? What value do I want to place? That sort of thing. But it's not as stressful as some of the things might be. I don't necessarily find this game to be overly stress-inducing. There are moments of tension for me every now and again, but it's not like start-to-finish tension. I agree. There's there's a few points that have like oh I hope they don't do that so I can like it, it, there's a few things that if you're the first one there you get special benefits so you might want to go there or you might want to get this tile but almost everything else like even if they go there you can still go there and do that action so it almost never you know people don't aren't really ruining your plans in any way so in that sense it's it's nice it's not it's not mean or anything but it it lacks a little bit of tension for sure yeah and there's gonna be spots where you can get so for example there's three types of tiles in this game so there's there's farm tiles recruit tiles and development tiles and each one of those tiles does something different like the farm tiles will give you the income when you retrieve your bees they also are where you keep your resources and there's you know there's going to be a display of them and there's going to be three up from you to choose from but you won't be able to access that third row unless there's a value totaling a certain number so when a player places their 3B, now it allows the other players access to those other tiles by playing a less and not as high value B as you normally would. So for example, to get to that third row, you need five. So if somebody placed a three, I only need to do a two. Whereas if somebody placed a one, I would have to do a four in order to get over there. So those those are the things you're thinking about. So instead of considering okay, I need to go to this spot to get wood in, let's say, Stone Age, and I need to bring four workers. There's slightly more that you're thinking about, but I don't think it's difficult. One of the things that I would say is actually a benefit to this game is that it is new gamer friendly. We, yes. The very first time we played this game, we had a person play with us, and she very from the beginning, she's like, I don't normally play that many games. She's familiar with games. She has, you know, some basic knowledge or whatever, but she was very upfront about, I don't really know a whole lot. And she was able to play and be competitive with the rest of us. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a welcoming game. It's not at all. It's definitely, I agree. it's definitely got some meat on its bones, but it's not heavy and it's not complicated. Like it's an easy game to play. You know, there's a, there's a long teach, you know, you spend 10 minutes teaching the game. And then it's easy to like get into and play. So it's, it's, I would describe it as a, hmm, it's a midway euro. I, w- I wouldn't say it's, it, but it, 
feels like it's a heavy one. So I would say it's a great game for those of you that don't like heavy games, but want to feel like you're playing something a little bit bigger, a little bit meatier, you know, a little bit chunkier. It'd be, it's great for that category. Or it's also great for those that are, that like the heavier games that want to play something, want to include people that are, don't like those heavy, heavier games. It's in that lightweight, but it's certainly not light. Like, I don't want you to think that it's light at all. There's a lot to it. There's a big rule book. There's definitely a lot of rules. So, I mean, it would think like, you know, Castles of Burgundy type of weightiness to it. You know, there's a lot to think about, but it's not difficult or complicated in any way. And you're not, it doesn't feel tight. Like, you don't feel like you're constantly, like, struggling to eke out everything. You know what I mean? Or a lot of those, what I kind of consider high, high, um, heavier games feel really tight. Like you just don't feel like you're accomplishing anything. It's easy to get in there and just start accomplishing things right away and feel good. Which about feels good. Doing. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it feels good to be able to take actions and reap the benefits of those types of actions. There are times where I feel like resources can be can be a little tough to come by every now and again, as long as if you're not taking certain actions. There's the conversion, which is nice. Uh, one of the things about the conversion that I didn't really get into is you can teach a dance and the first person to go to the conversion spot with a level four B teaches one of the dances. And you, typically what this is, is you're setting up some sort of conversion. It could be you have a handful of tiles and it say, OK, trade in one point and one basic resource and you'll get the honey resource, which is the one of the most difficult ones to come across. And it gives you an it gives the players an opportunity to develop these conversions that they want. And then when you teach it, you get to put your little player cube on it, and then you get a benefit whenever somebody takes that. The other interesting thing about this game that I enjoy is endgame scoring. You determine how you're going to score points. And there's a number of ways you can determine how you're going to be scoring points. So your faction typically, if you're not playing necessarily the base factions, they'll say, Score a certain number of points based on these tiles being adjacent to your hive. Okay? There is, is, if you fill up your entire main hive board, you score eight points. If you fill in these additional ones that you can acquire throughout the game, you, you get an additional eight points, that sort of thing. There is a uh, queen's favor track, and based on how high up you climb on this track, you're going to be scoring points. But then you're getting those carved tiles. And those tiles have specific endgame conditions on it. The cards that you're getting in during the game, if you play them into your underneath your hive, those are going to have special endgame scoring conditions. So throughout the game, you're kind of you're kind of building to stuff, building to stuff, building to stuff, and then you're kind of looking at what the carved tiles are, what kind of cards you've collected throughout the game, and trying to develop a scoring strategy based on what you've developed in the game, as opposed to in the beginning. This is how I'm going to score points. I'm going to go after this thing. So I think because of that, pl- replayability is going to is going to change game to game because you're going to be going after a different scoring strategy based on the card slash tile that you take. Yeah, there's a lot of paths to victory, and there's a lot of like what what might determine your path is like what's available. The card tiles are going to be different every game. You know, the the seed tiles that you draw are different. The tiles of the tiles that come up are different. There's a lot of different paths that you can take to like to play the game. And I think each game you play is going to be very different depending on the faction that you are and what's available to you. And it can be very 
you know, a lot of different options and different ways to play the game. And I think that's what's going to give it a, a lot of legs and a lot of staying power is is that each game you play is going to feel really different. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's get into some ratings. What are you going to rate the game? Um, I, I keep debating between like a, a seven and a half and an eight. I think the production and how beautiful it is, how easy it is to play, how enjoyable and um, it is. It, it kind of puts me in an eight. I really enjoyed it when we played it at three players. It was nice and quick. When we played it at five players, it was a little bit too long and it felt a little long for what it was. So I think I'd recommend this game at eight. I'm sorry. I recommend this game at three and it, I would come in at an eight if it was at that level uh, just because I think the the beauty and the art are really is what pushes it over the edge for me. I think it's interesting. It's got some fun things that we're doing. It's not too heavy. I, you know, I really, I really like it. But the reason why I was kind of going with a seven and a half is, is that it, it lacks a little tension for me, you know, and it's not, there's nothing that's terribly interesting about it. Like nothing that like is super unique. The the theme is unique, but like any of the mechanics, it's all kind of, um, I don't know, nothing terribly exciting either. Yeah. The mechanics you're familiar with from other games. Especially mm-hmm. if you've played like Teotihuacan, then the bumping up strength of workers isn't as a big of a novelty than it it would be if this was their first time experiencing that sort of mechanic. I think, Tia, yeah, this would be like way step down for Teotihuacan. Like if you thought that was overwhelming and fiddly like I did, then you would like this a lot better. What what was the name of that game? Teotihuacan. There you go. You did it. Good job. You did I said it like you. Did. That doesn't mean it's right. That's true. We, the, the, the hardest thing in this podcast is produ- pronouncing names and sometimes titles. Let's be honest. Like, that's the hard part of everything. As far as my rating, I think I'm also right in that same boat with you. I think seven and a half, eight. I think the theme is super cool. I, I, the problem is the theme doesn't necessarily translate. You're not engrossed in the theme. I think the, the skin of the theme that was placed on this game is cool. But I don't think that I don't think you can necessarily use theme to explain every single rule. Uh, I do like it, though. I do agree with you there. There's not necessarily tension from start to finish. There are moments where I see some increasing tension and then it kind of levels off. The last game we played, there was a certain car tile that you and I both wanted. You got there first. There was that little bit of tension of like, will I be able to do it before she does? Those types of things. I think one of the things I really like about this game is that you're developing the strategy based on your starting faction and based on the cards and the different things you acquire throughout the course of the game. So I think that's interesting. But yeah, I think I think I'm going to come in at a seven and a half, which if you would have done this based on my first play, I don't know if I would have given it as high as I did. The first play for me kind of felt fell flat a little bit and I don't know if that's because I was expecting a far more robust experience and that's not necessarily what I got. I do think the game is good and I have enjoyed it the more times I've played it. I do think you should avoid it at five. I don't think that necessarily is its good player count. Three to four is where I think the player it really shines. Two just it's a little too open at two if that makes sense. Even though like all the action spots are open it just doesn't you're not bumping as much. And because of that, I think that was one of the things I normally factor in. So I'm going to, I'm ultimately settling at a seven and a half. I think it's a good game. I think there's going to be a lot of people who really enjoy it. Like if, if you like 
worker placement games and you like developing your strategy during gameplay, I think this is going to be a pretty solid game to do for that. I also think this is a great like game for those that are just getting into the hobby. You know, yeah. like this is a good meaty game that that's fun to play. You could play a lot of times. There's a lot of legs to it. Um, if you're just getting into the hobby, you probably haven't seen a lot of these mechanics. So it still feels really fresh and new for you. I think it's a great like first step into the board gaming hobby type of game. Welcoming plus essentially the next next level or the next yeah. step of like gameplay. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah. You're you're in. You're like you've you, at this point you own like fifty games, twenty fifty games. You know, so you've got a lot of experience there. You're ready to learn something meaty, but you you know you're not you're not interested in those like super heavy Euro games. Like this is a great game. You could teach your friends who don't typically play board games. It's I I don't want to. I I feel like I'm. I want to make it clear. This is a heavy meaty game. It's not a light game, but it's also not terribly complicated. It would be medium to light. We often talk about, you know, medium weight board, medium weight game, medium weight heavy. I think this is medium light. I don't so even you, know that I would even say it's medium light. It's a lighter, heavy game. It's, you could say it's a heavy game on the light side. So it's, it's, it's more than a medium weight game. It's, you know, I, I would say it's not like a, it, it's, I, you could say it's a heavier, lightweight, or sorry, a heavier medium game, but I wouldn't put it in the lightweight at all. What do you think makes it heavy? That it's big and long and that there's a lot of rules in it. Like there's a lot of actions you can take. There's a lot of pieces. Yep. It's a it's a big box like Ticket to Ride style box game. It's yep. not like a, like a medium size, a medium weight game. I feel like it's like Cascadia, Calico, like those smaller box games, Azul, Ticket to Ride. Those are medium opposed to light, which is like party games. Like light is like what I could teach my grandma, my kids, anybody who doesn't play board games. Medium is like you you got to really kind of be into it, be open to learning games. And like heavy is like a ticket to ride size box. A lot of pieces, a lot of rules. What would you say ticket to ride is? Ticket to ride is a light game or is it a medium game? Medium game. Got it. Okay. Because it's because it's but long. It's like an hour long. Based on based on that criteria, then yes, I could say this is a medium heavy, I guess, or heavy, heavy light. I don't know. I would what say you're... a light, heavy game. Uh, whatever, it's on whatever the you said. Of the heavy spectrum or the heavy end of the medium spectrum. Or you're just you're just coming up and developing new words for things at this point. I feel like you're just medium, heavy, heavy, light. It's like when you order a steak, right? Is it is it medium? Is it medium rare? Is it rare? Is it rare? Rare? Is it you know? There's a scale. Well done. There's, There's a, scale. a scale. This is like. You want something heavy, but you don't want something complicated. It's not like a Suchi game where everything is super tight, you know, and yeah. you only have a certain amount of turns. Like those, I think, are next level where you have to enjoy that style of game. This yeah. is like a broader style that a lot of people could enjoy. I could see this being a very popular, like similar to Wingspan. You know, yeah. this could, this could, this game could be a, very broad across all people you know it might yeah. not be like our favorite games but so many people like it and, and it's there's nothing there's nothing offensive or to dislike about it so. yeah i i agree it w i would put it right up there with you know, let's say the wingspans of the world it's a good theme that people can enjoy the rule set is not overly complicated it's going to be mostly based on the the things that you're doing within the game you know as you're playing the game you're going to develop these things yeah, I think that's if you like that sort of thing, 
I think this is, like I said, I think this is going to be a good game. I think there's, like you said, I think there's going to be a lot of people who really love this game. If the reason why I rate it a seven and a half and not anything higher is one of the things you and I have often talked about is that tension in the game. It just doesn't have as much tension as I would like, which doesn't necessarily make it bad because those, those the nights where I don't want to necessarily have too much in tension in a game where I can just kind of sit and play and have fun. This is the kind of game that I'd be down with. So yeah. if you like that sort of thing that I would definitely give this one a try. Cool theme. That is apiary. And with that, we are going to take a break. But when we come back, Natasha is going to be giving us her top 10 tile lane games. All right. Welcome back. We're going to talk about my top 10 tile lane games. So what is a tile lane game? I think of a tile lane game as any game where you have a piece that you place down in a strategic way where like not only does the placement of the tile where you're placing it matters, but how you place it matters. Well, I guess that's not always true. Ooh, how would you define a tile lane game? Because I'm thinking like, okay, Castles of Burgundy, that's a tile lane game. You're placing these little tiles and these hexes. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't include it because... I was like, you don't really rotate the tile. That doesn't matter. But then I'm thinking of like uh, a few other ones on my games that are like similar shapes that I am including it where it's really only the placement. It doesn't matter like how I orientate the tile. That is a good question because I think hmm, because tile placement, something like Castles of Burgundy should probably be included in that. But at the same time, it's not what I instinctively think about when I think tiling. I think a game like... uh, man, maybe orientation is what matters. So I think of a game like Carcassonne is mm-hmm. a tile lane game. The, if you didn't lay those tiles down, you would not have a board. Planet Unknown, tile lane game. You're taking these polyomino pieces and manipulating and putting them in a certain area to fill in part of your board. So by that regard, yeah. I was think, I was originally thinking orientation of where how you place the tiles, like upside down or side to side matters. But I have games in here that the orientations of the tile don't matter. I still consider them tiling games similar to Castles of Burgundy. I think the difference is like the entire game is all about just placing those tiles where like maybe Castles of Burgundy, there's a little bit more to the game. You've got the dice rolling. You've got like what the tiles mean, like the tile selection is a little bit more important necessarily than where they go because the placement of them doesn't really matter except for like the numbers that you place them on so that's probably the difference like i could place this tile here or here it wouldn't make a lick of difference except for maybe i'd have to use a worker to place it in that spot yeah that i think tile laying in that in castles and burgundy i was going to say is not as important but it is where you where you're playing those tiles and how are your you know scoring points and different things like that so yeah i don't know did you when you did this, did you just come up with a list generically by yourself or did you go to Board Game Geek and say, all right, show me tile land games? I should have done that. I did not. So I've been working on my top 100 list and I just went through my top 100 list and I pulled out anything I'd consider tile lane. So that's what made me think of Castles of Burgundy because that's on my list. Like Arc Nova is considered tile lane, Terraforming Mars. Yeah, mm. I, didn't, I didn't consider Terraforming Mars at all. I don't think I would have either. Even t- even Ark Nova, yes, there's some tile lane, but it's not the main mechanic of the game. That's the I think the I think that's what separates that sort of game is 
Terraforming Mars, prime example. Yeah, yes, you're playing tiles, but I don't think it's a tile lane game. I think that's a card game. Everything you're doing is based on those cards. That's what you're trying to figure out is what I'm doing with these cards. Same mm-hmm. thing with like Arc Nova. Yes, you're playing tiles, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily matter nearly as much as what cards you have. For example, if you don't have any animal tiles, you're not putting any sort of things down on the board. Mm-hmm. I think when you're actively trying to get tiles, I would count that as a tile lane game. So something like Castles of Burgundy, for me, I would consider a tile lane game. Yeah, and like Feast for Odin, it would be a polyomino game, but I wouldn't consider it's heart and soul a polyomino game. It's really a worker placement game with some yeah. polyominoes in it. So for the purpose of my list, these are ones that I consider true tiling games. And sure. I like a lot of them. You're right. I easily have more than 10 games in my top 100 games that are tiling games that are strictly just tiling games i could easy make a list in fact i can make two lists i can make a polyomino tiling game top 10 and i can make everything else that's not polyominoes because those are two different types too there's a lot yep. of polyomino games there's a lot that i've made one list um includes both polyominoes and not so okay let's do that all right you ready i am ready what is your number 10 and my number 10 no surprise one of your favorites this might be your your number two is where i'd guess you would have it and that is king domino Ooh, yeah i love me some king domino yeah. it's so good it's it's got so much interesting a little tension in it it's such a small little game but it's also a great family game i can play with my kids or like i let them have like the good tiles or i could play super competitively or we like play cutthroat and we make sure we're not giving somebody a tile they really want there's a lot of great ways to play this game. It's super simple and it but yet it so got so much to think about. Yeah. As simple as the game is, it's one of those games that I have played I don't even know how many times and I still keep coming back to it cuz I keep, still keep enjoying it. That said, at this point I almost exclusively play it at two player. I will play on like board game arena at a slightly higher player count, but overall Two-player game, seven-by-seven grid, sign me up. Yes. <laughs> if you're like, hey, Bob, I want to play King Domino two-player two with you, seven-by-seven grid, I'm like, let's do it. Down. Easy. Knock it uh, out half an Easy hour. peasy, lemon squeezy. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, I'll stop everything I'm doing. It's got a nice puzzle to it. It's got some tension. You really like, you could screw yourself up and do wrong things, but yep. it's fun. I love that game. Yeah. My number 10, King Domino. All right. Number nine is Arcropolis. This is where you get groups of three tiles. You draft each group together. They're they're attached to each other. They're like little hexagons that are attached to each other and you can place them however you want. You get there's like um two main types of tiles. Like there's the ones terrain tiles that will score you points depending on how they are. And then there are um tiles with stars on it that match those terrain tiles and that'll tell you how many times you'll score those. So if you get three yellow stars and you have three yellow tiles that meet the criteria, you'll score three times three, nine points. And, you know, if you have three, t- three stars and six tiles, you'll do three times six, 18 points. So it's there, there, you have the multipliers and then the way you score and then the, the, the terrain, the placement of them matters. Like certain ones have to be grouped together. They might need to be on the outer edge. Then they might need to be completely covered. They might not be able to touch other tiles. So with all these little rules about how you place them, you can even stack them. Then they multiply on top of each other. 
So it's real. They're really, it's really good. It's really interesting. It's just like straight drafting where you have a lineup of tiles that you can choose from. You can choose ones further back, but they cost more. Yeah, it's, it's great. The more and more I've played this game, the more and more I seem to be enjoying it. We placed this, I think you and I both had it on our top 10 games of 22. Mm-hmm. And I, I, at first I was like, uh, should I have done that? Like, maybe, I don't know. And the more and more I play it, the more and more I think, yes, I think this game is actually way better than I think people give it credit for. I, I really, I've been really enjoying the plays of this game because it's a little puzzle. You're always dealing with those, you know, how am I going to score the most amount of points by meeting these six different criteria? Mm-hmm. And I, there's something that I, yeah, I just really enjoy it. I think, I think it's a really solid game. The pieces are nice and thick, so it feels nice to play. You get it out. It's a quick 20 minute game. It's, it's interesting. It scores really, you know, easily. And it's just, yeah, I really like it. I like the puzzliness of it. Well, and you stack stuff on top of each other too. So you build up, not necessarily just out. So it makes you think about things differently. Yeah. You want to plan for that because if you're covering it up, then you're not going to ever use that. So you need to strategically place tiles in a way that you don't mind covering them up. Yep. Agreed. So it's got some future planning, which is great. Yeah. I like it. That's my number nine, Arcropolis. All right. Number eight is another new game that just came out this year that really caught us, um, not by surprise. We were in, we were really excited to play it, and it did not disappoint. And that is Wild Tiled West. Yeah, um, you had me yeah. at Wild Tiled West. Like I'm I'm in automatically. I love I love the cutesy Wild Wild West theme. It's animals. I love that. It, it does not take itself seriously at all. It's and it's definitely different than any other tile laying game. This one's got some drafting. And the way you draft is interesting because you've got this, like, quite a few tiles that come in this game, a ton, like a ton of different ones. And each tile, there might only be two or three of each of those tiles. And the way you can draft them is you roll these dice and then you place the dice out. And depending on where the dice are placed based on the numbers that they roll is the tiles that are available for you to build. So you might choose like okay i'll do this and then when i get this tile but you might not ever get that tile because the dice don't ever it doesn't ever come up so it's a really unique way it very much fits the wild wild west theme the way you lay out the tiles in your little town that you're shaping you're not going to complete your whole board so you've got to make some decisions what are you going for and you really kind of have to lean into whatever strategy you're going with i think it's one of those tile laying games that's we just talked about medium weight games or whatever. I think it's on the medium high side yeah, or heavy, heavy medium. However you would say it regardless. Yeah. I, I really enjoy this game. And part of the reason is there's a lot of little things you're thinking about. For example, killing those bandits with the bullets and then you're taking the bullet and it turns into a tombstone, which I think is just, it makes me laugh every single time. The boards are all completely different. Even like the introductory boards are unique in their own way. It just, yeah, everything about this game, I just think does a really good job. And it's, again, one of those like things, for example, Acropolis, the more I play it, the more I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. It stores really nice for a polyamino game because all the pieces fit into like this tray that you keep it in. So that's really great. 
I do. Yeah, you're right. Each introductory board is unique and then you can flip it over and now everyone's got special powers. So and those are all unique. It's, it's got a lot of variability to it. Each time you play, you're going to get different tiles that you can draft a lot going on. And it's called Wild Tiled West. I mean, I, yeah, I like it. Everything about it. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't it be named Wild Tiled West? That's yeah. Done. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that, that's my number eight. All right, number seven is another new game that we, you just taught me a little this summer, and that is World Wonders. Man, Ooh, I yeah. really like this yep. one too. This one, you've got these tiles that are pretty basic, and then within that, you can build these like ridiculous wonders, which are these like actual little miniaturine, uh, yep. little tiny figures that are different than the tiles that you place on the board. It's very different than any other ones. There's a lot of rules about where you can place it. And then the way that you use your money and you want to build these wonders, but you, you have to spend all of your money to build the wonders. So you need to wait till it's your last turn because you could, they, don't, they don't cost anything. They just cost all of your money. So you ideally want to get down to one money. So that way you use your money on everything else. But you're also, you have to be paying attention to what other people are doing because they might build that wonder under you. So it's got, a, this one has a ton of tension in it. It's a pretty simple game. With a ton of tension. I just love the aesthetic of it too. The fact that you're placing tiles down and then you're getting these wonders that are chunky bits. So then when you create your board, it just looks cool. Yeah. I've been, I've been enjoying this game as well. Yeah. A lot of good tile lane games apparently have come out recently. Yeah. They've really hit their stride. I mean, there's, you know, um, what's the original one? Carcassonne. Carcassonne. I love that one. I played that a ton when I first got into board gaming. Yep. That was one of the first games that I bought and I played it a ton. I loved it. It's not even on my list. Patchwork was another polyamino game that I played a ton of, not even on my list. Like I think these old classic ones really um, led the way and they've recently take those and ran with them and made them so um, each unique and really interesting. And they're, they're just building off of each other. They're getting better and better. Yeah, I agree. That's my number seven, World Wonders. My number six is Downtown Farmer's Market. This is an, nice. a, a, a one that Bob found, and I've never heard anybody else talk about it. Like, ever. Man, do we love this game. Uh, I've taught it to a few people, and they love it as well. It's got this, you you you, you decide how you're going to score. So you're, you draft these tiles, and you, and you pick some of them. They're double-sided. So that's what you get to pick, one side or the other. You make a line. Okay. So now all of my rows will score this requirement. Like, for example, I'll get one point for every milk that I have in this row. That's an easy one. Or I'll get like 10 points if I have exactly six goods in this row. Okay, that's a little tricky. Um, or this one, which says I need to have two eggs and four pieces of bread. Okay, that's trickier too. So you decide what you're going to score. And only you is going to score in each of these four unique rows. And then you get another four set of tiles, double-sided. You pick which side you want. And those are your columns. So now this column, I need to have, you know, this this thing. Like maybe four of the exact same goods. Doesn't matter what goods. And they're all different. And there's there's easy ones and there's hard ones. Like each side has an easy side and a hard side. And you kind of have to, you want to get a good variety. You don't want all easy because you won't win, you know, because people have hard ones. But you don't want all hard because then you won't get them. You know, and there's always a certain part, part in the game as you're drafting these tiles that you're like, okay, well, I'm giving up one row here. This is not happening. Which row am I giving up on? And so it's got, it, as the game progresses, it's just 
tighter and tighter as your board fills in. And it's filled with more and more tension. Okay, I just need one tile with two eggs and a bread on it and fit both of my things. Oh, I hope nobody else notices so they don't hate draft it from me. And Max loves playing it with me. He loves hate drafting. Oh, yeah. he. I mean, he from in general, even when we played, we played that one time recently where it was you, me, Max, and Dave, I think. And Max was like, well, what do you need? At one point, I go, Max, don't take this tile. I really want it because I didn't want him to take the tile I wanted. So then he <laughs> he laughed and took that tile. And I was like, yes, he didn't take the tile I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> you manipulated a 12-year-old? Yeah, weird, huh? <laughs> I am not wow. ashamed. I am not ashamed is what I did. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he does love that. He loves hate drafting. That's his mm-hmm. favorite part about that game. I don't pay attention to what other people want. Like, I genuinely just want to, like, make sure mine is the best, that I get what I want. But, you know, that if you don't carry their tile or they're both going to screw you, then absolutely look around and see, okay, what do you need? What do you need? So, And as you get further in the game, you can, can see that a little bit easier. You know, early on, it's not doesn't matter so much. But, man, this game is such a gem. It's a small box. It's just tiles. And, but it's filled with so much tension as you're going around. Like everyone's at the table, like, "Oh, please give give me what I need. I need exactly this." And you're like, "Oh, I made so many mistakes." It just stresses you out. It's so good. That is my number six, Downtown Farmers Market. The funny thing about that game too is, I'm not the one who found it. Jeremy did. Jeremy and I played it two player, and he's just like, "I don't think I really like want to hold on to this." And I was like, "Dude, I'll buy it," because it gave me King Domino vibes. You know how much I like it. I was like, I'll take it, dude. I'll buy it off of you. And I ended up buying it off of him. So that's how I that's how I acquired the game. Yeah, I love it. It's so good. Thanks, Jeremy. All right. My number five. This is not near as much tension as my other games. And I when I got it and I rated it, I gave it a 10. I stand with that. My number five, if it gives you any hint how much I love tiling games, is a top is a 10 out of 10 game for me, and that is Cascadia. I love this game. It does not have tension like the other games that I love do, but but I still enjoy it. It's just such a lovely, peaceful game where you just score all these different ways. So you're like, okay, I want this tile because that'll help my trains, but I want this animal because I need this. And and having those that those two things that you're taking into consideration is really, really fun. Yeah, I'm it's fine. Oh, I love it. It's so interesting and so it's it's um definitely like um I say a medium weight game. It it's got some interesting like it's a little tricky with this the way that they score, but that's okay because you can talk through each of one of them. And you have to take into account the way the animals score and in account the way your terrain is set up. And it just has this fun little puzzle to it and completely enjoyable, lovely game. I don't know why I don't love it. I, I should play it again. I should really I should really give this one another shot. Maybe that's it, yeah. All right, that's my number five, Cascadia. All right, number four is was my favorite polyomino game for a while here. That is Isle of Cats. It's got polyominoes mm. and it's got drafting. We just played it, and you said you never won this game, and then, of I've course, I beat you, which, which made me feel really good. I have never won this game at all, and this is your number four. Yeah, and you know how much I love this game. I thought it would have been your two. Honestly, mm-hmm. I thought this was number two for you. I love the drafting. I just, for whatever reason, I can't seem to score well at this game. That's this, fine. I can tell you why. Because in a lot <laughs> please, of these polyomino games, tell me. The, in a lot of these polyomino games, the, the idea and like the desire 
is to make this perfect grid where you have no holes. And that is mm. not how Isle of Cats works because you cannot, you don't have time to fill up your whole boat. So you have to like, you're not going to fill up all your rooms. So you have to strategically leave holes around depending on what rooms you're deciding not to give up. And I think that's hard for people. And it is possible. Like I have heard that it's been done where you can fill up your entire boat. But it's a, it's a hard strategy to pull off. And this game is really, I think the heart and soul of this game is the lessons. That's where you can really score a lot of points is getting the lessons and then satisfying those lessons and making that your strategy. But that's just my advice. I like it. It's got drafting. It's got polyominoes. It's got cats. It's light. Um, you can play it. There's a there's a family version that I play with Max where it t- completely takes out the entire drafting and you just have a couple personal objectives and you just score the cats. It's not near as good, of course, but it's it's a completely fine way to play the game. I did joke around with you after that last play when I was like, I have never won this game. And I was like, I'm done. I'm not playing this game ever again. <laughs> I, I actually do. I do like it a lot, even though that I've never actually won the game. Mm-hmm. I do. I do enjoy it quite a bit. I like it a lot. It, it's such a good tile laying game. It's got enough like interesting, like you've got the drafting and you've got some interesting like decisions to make with it, where you place the cats, which cats you draft. Um, but it's but it's still quick. You know, it's about an hour long. I really like it. That is my number four. I love cats. All right. My number three is not actually a tile game. It is a card game, but I still consider mm. it a tile laying game. Mm. Is that cheating? We'll find out. What is it? It is Trailblazers. So yeah, that, I mean that's a tie. It's essentially card laying, same thing. Yes, they they are essentially dominoes, is what they are. They're just in card form. Dominoes by m- meaning like they're long and skinny, and they kind of have two sides to them. So in Trailblazers, you are trying to make three different types of paths, as many as you can or as long as you can. You get points per length of the path, so you could make two. 10 length tracks for 20 points or you can make one path for 20 points one that's 20 20 spaces long so you're really trying to make a bunch of different as many longest paths as you can and also there's some in-game and end-game scoring based on some goals that, that fluctuate each game and it's drafting you just draft two cards play them down pass it along draft two more then you do that for four rounds it's fairly simple but man is it like just difficult to play and to like feel like you're doing good and the the entire time we were playing this game just a few weeks ago and our friend we were waiting on our friend to show up we knew he didn't like this game okay we'll play it before he gets there he doesn't like it he arrives and he's waiting for us to finish it up and we're sitting at the table and we're all just complaining like oh my god this is so hard oh my god i can't believe this oh what are we doing like just like moaning and complaining and he's like see this is why i've hate this game and i'm like no this is why this game is so good i I know i'm complaining about how horrible this is but this is my doing like it's horrible because of the mistakes i made and the decisions i made and the stress of it all and am i gonna pull it off in time and you can like we played it with max too before that and he like scored like no points at all because he tried to make these like beautiful paths but none of them actually fully connected so he didn't score anything so you can like royally screw this entire game up or work on like one giant path and not complete it in time and get no points it is can be very punishing and man i love it it's so good there are times where you're playing this game and you just say to yourself man i'm not gonna score any points but again it like you said it's all our it's all you're doing you did this to yourself you could have done better but you chose not to 
it yeah. it is it is an interesting game cool game quick game plays eight players too which i think is cool it can yeah, if you have two versions of the game yeah, if you right. buy the deluxe copy you can but if you buy just the regular copy it's only up to four and it comes in this really tiny little pouch so you, like with a little clip on it you can hang it on something so it's a really small it's supposed to be a game you can take anywhere i wouldn't say that because you do need table space but it comes in a really nice small container the cards are really small yeah, it's it's a great game. Um, and if you don't like tile lane games, you probably won't like this one. If you don't like like actively punishing yourself and and feeling like an idiot, you might not like it either. You have to be open to that. But it's yeah. a s- nice small box, really good, solid game that I really love. And that is my number three, Trailblazers. All right, number two. I know when this first came out, I did like Cascadia better than Calico, but now Calico has jumped in the lead and i love it and that is my number two wow. calico it's wow. so stressful like oh should i play here oh, if i play here i really need this one tile and you're totally dependent on the tile coming out and it may never come out so like that sucks but i don't know i still really like it it's it's just so fun where you place the tiles like okay do i want to go for color shapes oh if i i can do both i could do both but i got then i need this one very specific tile so then I'm like, okay, am I not gonna get? I'm probably not gonna get that tile. It's unlikely it's gonna come up. So do I, do I grab this tile now that fits one of them, or do I wait it out? You know, so there's there's a lot of tension in the tiles that are kind of come up and the puzzles that you're making, and you can kind of focus on doing, you know, shapes based on the cats, or you can focus on colors. But you really want to do both as much as you can, and you want to try to get all three of your goals in the middle. And they all are ones that you can do both either shapes or colors, but you get more points if you do both. And that's what's really fun. And I love trying to work all that out. It is going to make your brain hurt the puzzle that it gives you yeah. for sure. Yeah, I'm yeah, not a I fan, d- but. <laughs> I definitely love, I love punishing tile laying games. I think that is a, that is a theme here. I like games that are light and very difficult. You know what I mean? Like games that are heavy and difficult. Like that's just so hard. But like games that are light and difficult. Like, okay, I understand the rules. It's simple, super simple. But being good at it and like accomplishing everything you want to accomplish is really hard. And I think I it's the tension that makes it so good. What I really like in board games. I love lighter, tension-filled, hard games. You know, I think that's probably my sweetest spot as far as board games go. But all right, that's my number two, Calico. All right, number one, no surprise. Man, this is like has not gone down. In fact, it's gone up. We played it a ton of times. That's Planet Unknown. We're playing it on BGA now. Every time I go to a board gaming group, I always bring it because it plays up to six. But it's so good at two and it's good at six. Like all all ranges, everything in between. And what's even better is like it's it's a little different at every player count, especially like yeah. the difference between two and six. It's different. It's a totally different game, but they're both really good. They're just different. Yeah. I love this game. This is a classic polyomino game where you definitely want to fill in as much as possible. If you if you leave holes, you're gonna get punished for that. You've gotta fill in, you've gotta make a perfect grid of fully filled tiles, and that's really satisfying and, and easy for people to learn to understand and intuitively do you know you don't want to put these tiles over here and make all these holes 
But if you do that, you're going to end the game really quick and screw over a whole bunch of people who had plans. So it's definitely a strategy you could do. You know, so this time, this game, you just place tiles. Depending on the tile you place, you move up the tracks. Tracks give you special abilities, other ways to score throughout the game. And that's it. You're just draft. You're taking tiles from this lazy Susan. You're you're on your turn. You're going to pick where the lazy Susan is at. So then everyone else gets to pick one of those two tiles in their section, draft the tile, place it in their planet, move up tracks. Lots of fun. Yeah, it's it's one of those games that I I ended up getting the expansion content too, which is all the extra boards and all that other stuff. And I really just love playing with the different factions and the different boards. It it creates you new unique experiences. I even just like doing the generic stuff. I know that's what's so unique. Normally you play the generic stuff and then you move on to the factions and you're like, okay, we'll play factions forever going on. We continually play the generic side yep. and it's fine. It, it's enjoyable. It's a, it's its own challenge. Yeah, I agree. And the challenge comes from what polyominoes you're going to get, where you're going to place them and which ones are you picking? What are you trying to accomplish? All those sorts of things. Each track has its own unique thing that it gives you, whether it's unlocking technology, getting civ cards, getting patches to fill in spots on your board to, you know, moving your rover around. Yeah, it's a solid game. I really like it. Yeah. Good number one. It's so good. Uh, usually I'll do the generic side when I teach new people and that's pretty common, but I'll even do the generic side when it's just us and it, it's it's fun. It's just yeah. as fun. Love this game. The only thing I don't like about it is I don't like taking it anywhere because the tiles fall out of the Lazy Susan, but they are doing a Kickstarter for an expansion that comes with a lid, which I am purchasing. I did not do the Kickstarter, but my store is kickstarting it, so I'm ordering it from them and I'm excited about that. But this is one of my favorite games of all time. So I, I love it. I think it's great. I love playing it. And every time I play it, it's just as enjoyable. Yeah, it, it keeps it keeps going up for me too. Yeah. Is this this has got to be your number one t- um titling game, right? Mm, no, I don't think it I don't think it would be. Oh, if, okay. If we're going if we're going if we're going by tiling, if we're going by that having our conversation in the beginning part of this like we did. I think Castles of Burgundy would be my number one because I do consider that a tile lane game. So because of that, I think that would be my number one because Castles of Burgundy is in my top 10. Oh, okay. That would be my guess. Okay. So Planet Unknown, my number one tile lane game. That wraps it up. Bob, tell us some of the ones that I missed from my list. What are ones that you like? Um, that is a good question. Like what I, Because it depends on what you consider tile lane and what you don't consider tile lane. Because for me, Castles of Burgundy, I think I would consider a tile lane game. But then something like Azul's categorizes that. And I don't necessarily think that's a tile lane game. I think that's more of a drafting game. Yeah. Patchwork is really up there for me. My wife and I have played a ton of Patchwork. So I would say that's probably up there. Garden Ball was another one that just missed Ooh, my yeah. top 10. Heaven and Ale. But that is more of a Rondell game, I would say. Mm-hmm. Then it would be, I mean, you're, but you're making Where some you really good decisions. matters for sure. Yeah. That's a, definitely a big part of the game. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't consider that a heart and soul tile lane game. Junk Jor was up there too. I just learned that one this year. I really like that one. Alhambra. Yeah. That would be up there. I would consider that a tile lane game. Yep. You know, even um, Baron Park, I think is a solid introductory tile lane game. I don't know if that would make my top 10 though. Baron Park does not do it for me. I don't know why, but I don't like like Baron Park. Is it the lack of tension? Is that what it is? 
Yeah, I just don't find it interesting in any way at all. Wow. I mean, that's it's it's not offensive. Like it's completely fine to play. It's just to me not interesting, and people sure. love it, and I don't know why. It's it's completely fine. Like it's it's a great welcoming game, but there's just nothing really to it. It's fast, and I think that's what I like about it. Is especially when if me and my wife are playing, it it's quick, super quick, which is something I I'm looking for so we can play several versions of that game. But junk the drawer. Pr- then you need to buy junk drawer. That one's yeah, fast. Five, ten yeah, minute game. Maybe I should end up. Two players, probably two minutes. Two minutes? It's going to be longer than that. You're right. It is. Probably take two minutes to set up and then five, ten minutes to play. It depends on how much you play around with your pieces. The problem I have with like Baron Park is the setup takes forever, way longer than it needs to because there's no good insert for it. Unless, I don't know if I assume Folded Space has made something, but. I haven't bought like an insert for it or anything like that just because it's, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. All right. That is my top 10 tie laying games. Give you an idea. If you're looking for some, you can check them out. I think they're all fantastic. A little bit on the stressful side. Although Planet Unknown is, doesn't have very much tension. I don't find that one particularly stressful, but I still love it. So it doesn't have to stress me out, but just, you know, more bonus points if it does. All right. Well, thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week. Please help us out by giving us a review and liking us on Instagram or Facebook. And please send us any of your comments or questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.